In the early 90s, it was the birth of the trend software is eating the world. In the early 2000s, the foundation of SaaS eating software was laid. Today, it is evident value SaaS is eating SaaS. These are companies with high capital efficiency or low burn multiple. The ones that are built to outplay macro curveballs. The next decade's headliners on global tech stage will be value SaaS company. And this is where you will hear of them first. Hi, this is Diagrajan, co-founder and managing partner at Opeka, Alisa's accelerator. And this is Malvika Tekta, the producer of this podcast. Today, we talk to Vijayala Manchili, founder and CEO of HR tech platform Keka. Vijay talks about making foundational decisions on market choice, pricing, funding, and scaling SaaS. So Vijay, I want to dive in directly into the question that I've been burning to ask you. You broke the thumb rule. You broke the thumb rule on it is easy to earn a dollar than to earn a rupee. Many years ago, we met and we had this conversation and you said, I agree. You had come from US, you had built products for the US businesses, you had built offering for the US market. And you said, you know, that makes sense. You know, it is much easier to sort of uh, build for the US market. But then you embarked on this journey to build for the India market. And a few months ago, when we met and you talked about this stellar results and this growth, and you achieved in very few years what has taken many other SaaS companies in India, focusing on India market to get to in eight years or 10 years. Right? And I said this and I said, Vijay, I'm shocked. <laughs> you said, I'm shocked too. <laughs> Tell me what's going on. Right. Yeah. See, uh, I most of my experience has always been with the US market before I started the product. So at the time, our first customer for Keka was also a US customer. So it was like $1,400 a month, right? So that was like good revenue. So, but I think uh, what happened at the time was the HR market space where we were working. So there were like huge funding that came in uh, in US. And I was starting as a bootstrap startup. And now I have to compete with these HR tech firms that are heavily funded. And that whole market was like, there's a small player, there's a mid-market player, there's an enterprise player, all of them funded, all of them new entrants. So I felt at the time, if I launch something, I'm still trying to figure out where I fit in. So which market I fit in and trying to find a positioning. And then now there's so many elephants already, you know, in the market, right? So I thought just being another, you know, HR tech firm in US, it, it's really hard for me to position. Whereas I thought in India, there were no market leaders. The market was uh, there too many players like here, but no clear market leader. And I thought I, if I did something, this is where I could actually create a differentiation, right? Now, I, I had the same fears too, right? Now, everybody told me, I have a friend, Manohar, who runs Agile CRM. He also warned me, said, you know, dude, uh, you're going in a wrong market. <laughs> but for me, uh, you know, I, I, I somehow had to go with the conviction here more than real. Uh, because for me, the conviction was that there's a market, right? And there's no market leader. Probably, even if it's a small pond, it's better to be a big fish in this pond than try to be a small fish in that bigger market where there's a lot of chaos. So I think that was the thought process at the time. And I took the plunge to launch in uh, India market. So, so there were many players who tried to sort of enter the India market in similar space as well in, in HR tech. And what, what specifically happened in the years that you launched that helped you have very different outcome compared to the rest of the folks? 
So I think one of the things with the India market is, uh, and, and because I, I already received these warnings from other founders, so I thought that I cannot play this cheap game, right? Cheap product strategy. And, and that's what everybody was playing at the time. The software was like 10 rupees per employee. So I thought I should be able to build something where people find value and they should be able to pay for it and pay enough. So we launched the product with uh, our base price was like, uh, it was like 30 rupees, right? Three times the you know, comp- immediate competitor was launching. And we were not keen on giving much discounts to the customer. So, so if we're able to sell that this product, it actually proves the notion that, you know, if there's a value, people would buy it, right? So the next step for us was figuring out the value. So we did that customer research and a lot of it also, I could learn from my own learnings running a small business company, right? So those lessons coupled with some of the customer research, we were able to go pointed towards specific pain points, you know, and, and we had a theme, right? So in India, a HR person should be able to run a payroll. And even if there's no finance person, because I thought beyond the payroll compliances, some of those aspects, a lot of questions employee have, HR should be able to or wants to actually you know resolve for them, right? So, so those were some of the premises and which we launched. In fact, the first product we released, we didn't even have payroll. Our research proved that calculating time was the biggest pain point in the entire payroll process. So we built that one product that integrated with numerous devices. Pretty much every device in India, we said we should integrate. Although we didn't have APIs, SDKs, we had to reverse engineer and figure out. But we made sure that one problem will solve like nobody else did. So we went with that approach and we had customers just buying attendance software. And in fact, even after we have built payroll, the attendance software was taking significant piece of customer share than even payrolls. So you said two very interesting things. One you said is, is that you know you launched with three times the price of what the competitor was paying, and you didn't want to sort of keep it the the cheap game, right? As you as you articulated it. The other thing that you also mentioned is that you didn't give discount. Totally counterintuitive, right? Whenever somebody thinks about from an India market, this is like value, value conscious, and you know how much are you able to provide as a discount and how are you uh, making it very, very price effective, right? Cost effective for them. And despite that, you know, you you did these two things which are very counterintuitive. What prompted you to do that? When I was trying to build this one, I already have another business and you have another business running and then you want to move away from that business to build this. Either this has to be something big or it's a disaster. So I had that goal clear that if I'm taking a risk, it has to be a risk because I'm doing something bigger. And if we had to do it at a cheaper price and I could not see us growing bigger, just the math, the market size alone was very poor. So I was clear either I'm going to do it or the moment I know it's not the right thing, I'm going to withdraw from the market. So that was something I had in mind. So there is one more thing with respect to the India market that is talked about, right? So when you go and work with an Indian customer or you're offering a software solution to them, then they are like, you know, add this feature, add that feature. In fact, you know, the discussion, the way we like to frame it is, is that, you know, Indian customers want you to build a Thali startup. You want everything like uh, decorated as an Indian Thali and they don't want just, you know, one specific dish. And uh, initially when you launched, you said, you know, you only focused on attendance, which is like a point product. And then you later expanded to payroll. So when customer come and tell you that, you know, give me an ERP for HR, right? Which is how every Indian customer thinks about. 
how did you deal with you know such kind of request and how did you resist it so yeah you mentioned this thali example so there's also in india very frequently spoken <laughs> one so customer pays for a maruti and expects a benji experience right so that's another <laughs> popular yeah, uh, quote i have heard many times so you are correct so one of the biggest challenges was the indian businesses were also not used to saas right so right now it's become pretty popular and more maturity towards saas but at the time the market didn't have that maturity so we would come across customers and they would ask you build this or we'll leave so we did struggle we did make our mistakes in fact it was the bigger customers that were actually causing this problem more than the smaller ones So we had one business based out of Bangalore you know they said they have this huge number of employees which they wanted to onboard and uh, we thought it was good and they made us develop a bunch of things we lost 3 months of development time and then we realized they were never actually really serious about this whole thing so that actually taught me the lesson that i cannot let customers dictate the product roadmap and also that i should not work with enterprise products so that was one decision we made not to serve the bigger customers and chose to remain SME. So when you're bootstrapped, when you have very little energies, all those energies needs to go towards building your product and not getting distracted. So we did face that problem and we made those decision not to serve the customers. We had customers, big, a lot of good brands sign up and when they would threaten us, you know, we would leave and we were okay with it because we felt it was not our uh, ideal customer profile. So I had to reduce my average customer size so we had to decide that we will only serve customers less than 100 people so because there we are seeing that they are liking the product they love it so i think that was the other piece right so you have this other few customers who are very happy and then the other customers who are unhappy so maybe we connected with those happy customers most and when they shared feedback right it was really good i used to get feedback from some of the employees using the software also that this is really good so i think that love probably prompted us to choose those who were loving us and try to focus on the on that segment dance with the ones that want to dance with you as opposed to trying to appease that don't right 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 yeah. and make that key decision on Yeah, focusing on those that are happy with you. A great point. Right. Just to add to that, the point you mentioned, so being a point product versus a ERP and all, we knew we were going to build a bunch of products. But I think it's very important at an early stage, and we chose this. We were losing deals, like you know, we had one of our competitor who were offering more modules because of which we were losing deals, and that included deals from our ideal customer profile as well. So salespeople were worried, but we stuck to that thing, saying you know. we'll just try to build more of the same thing but sell to more customers before we venture into building more products because as a team there's only finite resources with which you can build so one of the decisions i made was that in our space hr tech space what happens is every time you onboard a customer we were getting like at least 20 to 30% of the customers in fact it was even more not happy with the product because there was some missing feature and that missing feature was on the existing products we were serving so i felt that you know i should reach a state where customers should literally not have to ask for any additional features we should be able to onboard them seamlessly without any friction so otherwise customers would say we have this policy but this is not possible in kk so we cannot use the software we wanted to avoid that first so for the functionality we are providing which was you know primarily the solving the payroll ops we wanted to make sure we didn't have any friction during the onboarding right solve that problem first and we did that and that helped us actually scale Mm-hmm. so we were able to do more sales with the same product at least the products we served were good 
So the surface area you have exposed yourself is less. So which means you can do a quality thing, right? So I think it's important for early stage companies to stay focused on a point problem. A related thing that comes up, a lot of what you said is just like product thinking, right? product management hand of making key choices, key decisions about your ICP, about uh, what to focus on, like what, what feedback to listen from customers and what to avoid. Along with that, there is also how you solve this. One of the things that Keta is also well known for is this, that, you know, products are easy to use. It's just uh, designed well. When you and I caught up, uh, you told me once that you know you are the chief design officer of the company and you literally design everything yourself. For India, usually that doesn't matter, right? And most of the products that are built for the Indian market, they they don't have design as a key center philosophy to sort of use, right? But you chose chose differently, and uh, what what was the reason for that? And in retrospect. Did that pay off well or did not pay off well? Right. Indian products in general used to be, you know, very clunky in the interfaces, right? So maybe that gave rise to that thought process. But early stages for me, uh, I was involved in the sales process also. So we decided in the first call with a prospect, right? We would actually demo a PPT. We're not going to show a product. So for me, if I have shown them a bunch of screens and told them a story, does that excite them? Am I able to win their heart first? So this was an important criteria for me because when there are n number of products in the market and the comparison is on the quantity of you know the laundry list of features, I know we will never win because we are just started. So I wanted to win the heart first. Uh, I don't know if it's a left brain or right brain. I think right so anyway so we went with that premise right and i used to tell them hey you know this is how we're doing leave right so just very simple thing like when you apply a leave your employee can see who else is on leave right and and they can make a decision whether to take a leave or not and and this is how it looks right we could win the heart and that gave us the confidence that this is the way to actually you know do our sales so i think people in india are also same, right, as in the rest of the world. So anything that attracts eyes, right, they get connected to as well. So that notion proved to be wrong that Indians do not care for UX. I think at the time, we didn't have enough UX talent. Indians always wanted quality software. We just didn't have the talent to serve that. I see. Understood. So you also earlier mentioned about that you ran this as more initially as a spin-off or like a project separately and you're running these others. Uh, business before, which was uh, doing other services, right? And uh, you ran these two companies separately. There is this one other myth that, you know, people that are from the services background, they cannot build product. In fact, you know, I used to carry that 12 years ago. I changed it five years ago. In fact, wrote a blog post about it called as the myth of the services DNA. And you are one more person who, uh, like, you know, stands testament to my new belief that, you know, services founders are, are able to build uh, great products, right? Uh, what is your take on it? And uh, how do you see it? Like, you know, services versus product. You have done both. In fact, you have built the services business to a sizable business of about 500, 700 people. And uh, you are taking your product business also to a similar scale. So I think, uh, so there are two sides to this, right? One is, can a person coming from a services background build a product? So that's one aspect. The other piece is, uh, can a person build both services and product, right? So I would say the former one, I, I think you you yourself have mentioned, right? So I, I think it's depending on the services business also, right? If someone is working on a 
SAP and all these uh, traditional systems, it's very hard for them. But, you know, that's also a myth. <laughs> There's this company, High Radius, right? Exactly. So, High Radius. <laughs> no, yeah, they were in the SAP space before. And, and now today, they are like $3 billion. Yeah, $3 billion business, right? So, yeah, I got it wrong. So, I think, yeah, here, you know, services people can build products, right? So I think that's pretty true. So, but building both, I think is not practically easy and it's very tough. So for me, the reason I had to do that was I've already taken kids into my past career. So services business was actually helping me survive. But running both is extremely tough because the mindsets are very different for both. And that's probably why that made it true in that manner. So I would say you should pick one. <laughs> what are the challenges you face? See, if both are in early stages, both need that much attention from an entrepreneur and you cannot do a half as job so even when i was running keka i almost for three years i've actually pretty much ignored the services business i had to focus on this thing because i had this deal i made with myself that if we didn't succeed i had to quit them so and, and i didn't want to do that because i, I loved building products so i had to take a break for a significant three-year period i did not actually focus on the services business and that took a beating there so in my own experience also although it might seem now that i was successful i i think services business if i had not built this product would have been like four or five times bigger maybe so that brings me to an interesting situation there is an entrepreneur running a services business with 20 employees and about two crores in turnover but is interested in building a product. For someone like that, what would you advise them? And he has this dying desire to build a product and he's done multiple iteration, has not been successful so far. Given what you know from your own experience, what would your advice be? Yeah, so, uh, so two crore, 20 people. Huh? Yeah. So two crore, uh, 20 people, that's 10 lakh per person, right? So I think, uh, you know, at that uh, revenue size, this particular entrepreneur will probably be getting more salary outside than he is making in the services company. So I think he should first take care of his survival first because product is a huge, it's a very time intensive and, and the return is like many years away. So I would recommend that he needs to grow his services business to a considerable size and then maybe take a plunge or shut down the services. He's still in a very early stages. At this stage, product is a distraction. Got that. And maybe I use that as a segue to talk a little bit about uh, different ways uh, people build a product business, right? So uh, you chose not to take funding. You chose to use your services business uh, as a way for you to help you bootstrap, right? So what is your view on, uh, he, he shuts, shuts it down, then he has to get some funding to build the product. Or he can wait for some more time. And how would you do the trade-off now, um, having gone through that experience? Which one would you prefer? That to grow the services business to sizable, then bootstrap, and then like you know, uh, do the focus for two three years, like you said. Maybe you have to spend two crores in the product business, right? So that's the other piece also, right? There's a time factor to it. So if you're running both, definitely your attention to each of the businesses is going to be like substantially less. Like I said, one of them is going to definitely take a hit. Uh, if it's a product that's taking a hit, you'll go back to your services, right? If it's a services that's taking a hit and you don't have enough money, your product will still suffer also, Yeah. right? You know, it, it happened to me. We were relatively in a bigger size by 2019. 
But we had this one customer that went bankrupt while they owed us like seven crores. And that seven crores was a huge amount for us, right? It's like 50% of both the companies put together. You know, it was a huge beating. We somehow survived it. But, you know, those are the kind of problems you'll face. Like you lose one major project in your services. What are you going to do, right? <laughs> are you going to put all your energies in services again? So uh, usually in services, they put energy in the services because that is their primary bread earner. And that is why they will start, uh, you know, the product does not get the attention. So I think it's his so situation. Should you, should you fundraise and raise a lot of money to get your initial? Uh, you chose not to do it. So, so it depends on the market. So if, if you asked me a year ago when everybody is raising money, I would have said it's nearly impossible to build a startup bootstrap. But I think as the funding is cooling down a bit, not not really so much in India yet, but but I think if he has talent and he has talent in this services company, right? And if he could leverage the talent effectively, you know, there's no need to raise money, right? So I, I don't know how <laughs> there are any savings that he's able to make and he's able to build. See, services guys know how to hire from low cost. So that's something they already know. And if they're able to do that and channelize that into building a product, Maybe they don't need to really raise money. Or even if they're raising money, it could be like a very small convertible debt or something on those lines. So what's your view on capital efficiency? As in like, you know, doing this services and then doing this low hiring costs is what helped you be capital efficient? Like, you know, you I think capital money. efficiency, one, because you're bootstrap, you're short in resources. So that comes natural. And it's also something you're used to in a services business. In a services business, you're used to selling at profit only because there's simply no way you can run a business with a loss. So I, I think from that perspective, I was even scared of running a business where I can't see margins. So I'm used to calculating this gross margin in services. And we did a similar math on product as well. So if we're selling to find it customers, are we able to like make enough margins to keep our shop running? I think that probably came natural because I came from that services background. Brand name and uh, I mean a name like Keka, like once you listen to it, you don't uh, forget it. What's the what's the bad story behind the name? And in general, how do you think people should think about their startup? Which many people think is not important, but at some stage it is. I, I bought the domain name even before I actually started the business. So I knew I was going to build a product and I think I bought the domain at least a year before I even was contemplating or, or jumped into building a product. So from a business perspective, it's a stupid decision, right? Because I also spent a good amount on buying that domain name, right? But the reason I wanted such a name was, uh, so I, uh, you know, I'm an emotional person, right? For me, the name for which I work has to give me highest aspiration possible. And I should feel proud about something. I, I don't know if it makes any practical sense, but I, for me, that was important, right? And it, it should always motivate people to be beyond themselves. So I wanted that kind of a name. And I wanted also a name that was like Telugu, where I come from. But at the same time, it should be have an international appeal. So it's easily pronounceable. So if I tell a customer over a phone, they should be able to quickly type it in a browser, right? So I think that particular piece is very important. And I really think that's very important because sales process, right? You call a customer and you say, I'm from so-and-so, they should be able to recollect. The brand recall is very important. Mm. Uh, otherwise, uh, people have very less attention span. They don't even pick calls, but when they pick calls, they would want to have some names in their minds, right? So I thought for that reason, it has to be extremely simple and pronounced even by Americans or uh, Japanese and like. 
So yeah. I did that calculation though. So I chose Kcup based on that. So if we were to just uh, recap what you said, you said you know it has to have an emotional appeal for yourself, plus the team and and the larger audience that is like associating with itself, so that you know it can give a aspirational value. So that emotion is is very very critical. You said it should be simple to pronounce and should have international appeal. And yeah, of course, you started with a name and you did overspend on a domain that is easily available to you. So these are four or five parameters that you use. So that that thing that you mentioned about a recall of the name is there, and people are not trying to figure out like what did they hear or what should they type on Google to you know, make sense of whenever they are hearing for you, hearing you for the first time. Yeah, awesome. So for a startup, for a SaaS startup to get to about a million dollar in ARR. Right for the India market, you got there very very quickly. What are top three things that you believe now through your experience are critical to be solved? So I think that is a period where it's most unpredictable. So you need to choose your product market fit and then be able to scale. For us also, it took some time to achieve that one million, but we made enough mistakes also in our journeys. So I think it was essential one to be really sure about the problem you're solving and is someone ready to pay for it. And for me, that was most important thing. Someone is able to uh, validate. The next bit of it is actually scaling. Depending on the market size, the rule book can change. But in our case, we explored partnership channels, all of those. But what I realized was when you're very early, you should not try to defocus on too many channels of distribution also. So you should choose specific channels and also specific ideal customer profile and then keep multiplying on that. So I think that is more important to choose 1 million because after 1 million, what happens is uh, you found that PMF you'd have a lot of conviction, you'll intuition, you'll start gaining about your market. And that will actually help you figure out your next journey. So Vijay, you and I have known each other since 2007 and you have built multiple startups and uh, you've had different outcomes. They've had like a lot of highs and a lot of lows. If you were to pick what is one of those highest high in the last 15 plus years and maybe one of the lowest low, what would you say those are? <laughs> Yeah, you know me when I was uh, incubating my first startup in JNTU, my college where I did my BTEC. Yeah, yeah. So I did not even start with a business mindset. I started because I had this notion of serving people and use business as a means to serve. My whole thought process at the time was hire people who are jobless, train them and then build a, a services business so that you're able to hire more and more people in scale. You know, a lot of uh, resistance from family and everyone, like, you're not meant for business. You know, it's better to choose a job in the U.S., right? Uh, so I had to face all of that. I was newly married. And yeah, so everything seemed like it was falling apart. So I, that, that was the lowest. And then the other one was uh, COVID time, where one of the clients in the services business went bankrupt, not paying us a million dollars, like seven crore. And I was feeling like, what happened to me 10 years ago was going to repeat again that I might start losing on both the businesses. So, so that put me a lot of uh, stress uh, during those first three months of COVID. So that was my next lowest, I would say. Uh, highest, I think, is now, <laughs> naturally. For me, it's been a 15-year journey. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that. You know, uh, I know, uh, you know, you've gone through multiple challenges and, you know, real on-the-ground tough difficulties. Yeah, great to see, like, you know, you're touching new highs now. 
before i wrap up is there any question that you think i should have asked that i did not uh no i'm i mean i'm really thinking what that question should have been so a lot of people do ask are we going to remain bootstrapped or why are we not raising money so i keep getting these questions on linkedin from other bootstrapped founders i think that's one question probably i can answer if it helps the other people who are in bootstrap mode yeah absolutely go for it so i think uh, i'm not for or against uh, raising money in fact in our journey also we did attempt at raising money but what happened was when i approached an investor i found that they already had a certain uh, pre notions about our space hr tech space is not really a good space we don't, we don't have any thesis on this space and because of that the ones that were willing to fund you you know were, were giving very low valuations so i felt like you know if i had to dilute very early giving away a significant stake so that was uh, really not worth it at the time i was thinking the market space is also not so great so i was wor- worried that you know rather if you stay on your own that might actually be a better value for you than take money so the lower valuation than what i pursued it and that is one the other part, part was investor coming in with a not good understanding about your own market that's also a very wrong partnership so those were the reasons why you should uh, try to stay bootstrapped if you have strong conviction and you know you're able to build i would prefer that build focused on customers and build as much revenues but you will reach a point where at some point you would want to scale so bootstrapping definitely has uh, you know growth could be relatively slower i think if you have a grand scheme and a grand you should raise money for us if we have to grow beyond this and be one of the top players in the world there's no way we can do that funding ourselves particularly since we have worked in a market that that's not really you know uh, we we don't get a lot of money from customers in india so you just have to time it uh, you should use your funds effectively when you're ready to scale but when you're trying to prove product market fit it's better to struggle first than to raise money yeah absolutely i like to say that bootstrapping versus funding is always a false dichotomy or a false choice so it's yeah. the right capital at the right time if you put rocket fuel in a very small auto it will corrode and explode right yeah. once you have strengthened your engine to be a ferrari then it can actually take the rocket fuel so that that can take off as a rocket ship um so on that note vijay thank you so much for uh, taking the time it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, like connecting back on some of our old memories uh, thank you so much for doing this thank you rajan thank you bye next week catch rajan in conversation with ashok gudi bandla on building the cloud integrations platform automate.io and its acquisition by notion and before you go subscribe to the value sas podcast for lessons on capital efficient growth